This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Okay, guys, so before I jump into this awesome episode with Dr. Donna, the diversity, <laughs> the diversity and inclusion expert, I wanted to make a couple announcements. So first thing, if you enjoy this podcast, I would be very, very grateful if you would stop what you're doing right now. Yes, stop the podcast and go to whatever platform you listen to the podcast and leave a written review. It actually helps boost the ratings of, not the ratings, the ranking of the podcast so that more people will find breaking labels and hear these messages. This is not to boost my ego. This is so as many people can hear these messages and hear the stories of people breaking these labels as much as possible. So again, I would be very much appreciative if you would stop the podcast right now and write a review. Okay, you done? Welcome back. If you didn't know already, the month of March is a, um, for the month of March, I am doing a Soul Shaker series and it's inspired by International Women's Day, which passed, that was March 8th. Um, I wanted a way to honor women and to honor community and advice and wisdom being shared. So the entire month I am sharing a mini episode every day other than Wednesday, which is when I produce the full length episodes. Um, and these are five to seven minutes tops. Like these are tiny short episodes. The idea being if even if you are the busiest mom, hopefully you have three minutes during the day when you're tidying up or cleaning something or maybe just going to the bathroom if that's the only alone time you have. I've heard that might be the only alone time some moms have. But you can have three minutes or five minutes to listen to an episode or a message that hopefully will give you some inspiration or just some camaraderie and to know that you are not in this thing called life alone, honey. We are in it together. So if you would like to submit a message, you have a few options to do it. You can DM me your message. You can send me a voice note, which is aka a recording of you saying your message and then that way I can play it in your own voice but if you don't want it that way you can just like I said dm it to me you can email the message to me at rosanna at breaking labels podcast.com and if you want to send it anonymous anonymously obviously I'll see if you send it to me but if you don't want the message being attributed to you you can just let me know in the dm or the email that hey happy to to submit this message, but I don't want my name with it. Great. Still submit it. I'll still record it. Um, and happy to share it with other women because I have no doubt it what whatever you submit will inspire others. So let's give back to each other in the simplest, most affordable way possible. Share your time and wisdom with someone. So with that, let's get into this awesome conversation with Dr. Donna. Oh, and actually, before I forget, um, she and I actually did an Instagram live last week um, 
talking about her different perspectives of the Meghan Markle, Prince Harry, and Oprah Winfrey interview. I don't know if you heard that that happened, but it did. And if you actually go to my personal Instagram page, you will see the conversation we had. So that's another one. If you would like to check that out, it's there. But you are going to get to hear today in this interview how diversity and inclusion (laughs) includes so much more than I realized and how many blinders I had up that I think a lot of us have up as to what inclusion really means for everyone. So hope you enjoy this episode and you enjoy Dr. Donna as much as I do. Okay. Oh, that's not... Oh yeah. Okay. This recording. (laughs) So can you introduce yourself and you know what you do and what label you want to talk about or labels? It can be plural. Okay. So my name's Donna DeHaan. I'm British, uh, married to a Dutch guy, hence my accent and my surname are kind of a little bit off. I'm currently living in the Netherlands. Um, I have an MBA and a PhD, and I'm an academic researcher, consultant, um, and I'm passionate about everything to do with diversity and inclusion. Okay. Why? I love a why question. Um, (laughs) Why questions are my favorite. Why am I passionate about diversity and inclusion? I'm also a mum of three children. I have two sons and a daughter. And I was passionate about diversity and inclusion beforehand, but now I have an urgency and more of a fire with it because I want their experience of life to be the same. And currently it's not. So I'm fully aware that my daughter could do the same job as as one of my sons with the same qualifications, same experience, but she will get paid less. Mm -hmm. That's just wrong. That's not okay, right? Or if they happen to be gay, I will not love them any less, but society will judge them differently. And that's not okay. So I think having, becoming a mother really brought it close to home and really gave me this urgency. And I think I hear a lot that, well, you know, the next generation, hopefully, you know, the gender pay gap will be changed or whatever. But we, I feel like we keep just, it's not a legacy I want to hand down to my children. I want to solve it. I want to fix it now. I know mm-hmm. it's, it's not something that can just keep waiting. There's no need for it. There's no reason for it. So that kind of, yeah, fires me up. I, it's funny because I've, I've thought that myself, you know, it will take care of itself, but it, it's not one of those things that just takes care of itself. Like it takes action. It takes advocacy. It takes somebody saying something, but that's hard, especially if well, and I, I'm speaking personally here, but if you come from a, a perspective or um, a tradition of, you know, y- you're not supposed to speak out. You're not supposed to be the angry person. You're not supposed to be the loud one, you know? And how do you find a balance in standing up for what you believe is right without people thinking that you have this huge chip on your shoulder or that you are a quote unquote troublemaker? Oh, that's, that's good. I think for me, and I, so the ability to talk up and, and I don't mind being a troublemaker. I don't think that's a bad label to be given. Disruptive. I mean, organizations and things are always asking for, we want innovation. Well, sometimes you've got to cause trouble to, to be innovative. So thinking at that side of the box, thinking differently, for me, they are strengths. They're not, they're not negatives. I think 
But what I think is interesting from your question, I think a lot of people see topics about diversity and inclusion always about others or mm. a particular group, talking about labels, right? So yes. whereas for me, um, creating a diverse and inclusive culture benefits everybody. So I'm not doing it for someone, I'm doing it for everyone. Mm-hmm. The whole point is, is inclusive. So flexible working conditions, you know, also benefit straight, white, able-bodied men because they want to spend time with their family. It's not just something for women. Having environments where you feel psychologically safe to ask questions or raise concerns increases productivity and innovation and again, benefits everybody. So I think it's about trying to change the perspective. It's not something for other people. It's something we all benefit from. Mm-hmm. I, I will be very honest. You know, when I first heard the term diversity and inclusion, I didn't think of anything other than race. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, we actually, I'm very lucky that my, my employer is very, very passionate about it. And he had somebody come in and until she started speaking about like, even a gentleman who she's a gentleman um, in uh, a wheelchair as an example. And he was saying like, I don't need you to open doors for me. I don't need you to do these things, but just make sure there's a ramp so I can get where I need to be. Like, I don't need you to make a special exception, just allow for there to be the ability for me to be the same as you and to just exist. And I was like, oh, I never thought of diversity as inclusion as, as pertaining to that, but of course it does. And it just goes to show, like, I think sometimes people get so caught up in, well, I'm so woke, quote unquote, about this one thing that mm. obviously I'm woke in general. It's like, no, you still have a blind eye to experiences you've never dealt with personally. It doesn't matter. You know, there is, I mean, pop culture and, you know, society and things. I think we've gone through ways. Like in the last five years, we've gone from he for she and sexism and and, and safety in that respect to Black Lives Matter. And they're both incredibly important topics and they need to be at the forefront of our mind. But there are so many elements of diversity. Mm -hmm. And I think I see a lot of people just picking a lane and focusing on that. And trust me, where you have racism, you have sexism. Where you have homophobia, you have sexism. These aren't single fires burning in isolation. These are fires that have been fed with systemic ways of doing things. And where there is one, there is always more. So it's really about trying to understand that, again, if we start with with the why, like you started with your why question for me, why do we care about Mm -hmm. belonging, for example? or authenticity, or yeah, innovation, or teamwork. If we start there, diversity and inclusion are just the symptoms. They're just elements of it. And I think we're too busy trying to fix a symptom as opposed to really looking at what the cause is. And the cause is we have created spaces, whether it's sport or business or social media for one type of person. Mm-hmm. We created that and that was okay because for decades and centuries that the space that we created worked for the type of person we created it for. But now we want more people to be involved. So we have to change what we've created. And I feel like we're just trying to add square pegs to a round hole at the moment. Oh, yeah. Right? So I want more of this. Let's just stick them in. And you're like, but but it doesn't, I don't fit 
what you want me to to go into because I'm not the original prototype mm-hmm. so instead of trying to change me why don't we change the cultures and the spaces what what is a way that let's say an employer could do that um, I guess we have to use a specific example um, of somebody to be included but I don't know. Do you have a, a specific example that you've encountered or one that comes to mind? Let's take uh, meetings. Okay. Like, meeting, meetings are like a subculture. So you can work in a big organization and you're responsible for team meetings or whatever. So that's a small kind of something we can, we can look at. And whether we're doing meetings online or face-to-face, it starts with who do you invite to the meeting? Hmm. There. Who are you inviting to the meeting and why? And if you don't need me to contribute, you don't want to hear my voice, don't invite me. And if you do want to hear my voice and you are interested in my opinion about something, send me an agenda beforehand and let me know, let me be prepared and let me come to the meeting. Because again, from a diversity and inclusion perspective, I might be an introvert. I might not feel happy talking above everybody else and raising my hand. I might need a little bit more time. So send me an agenda beforehand and give me time to prepare and then I, I feel comfortable to contribute. Okay, so that's, that's just the, the one kind of one way. Can I tell you, I just had an aha moment because at one point I was managing someone who is very introverted and wanted to have an agenda for everything. And I was very annoyed by it because I'm like, God, it's just like, we'll just talk, we'll figure it out because that's my personality. Mm. I, don't, I don't care about details at all. And I never, ever thought of it from a perspective of she's an introvert. She wants to be able to prepare. This is her wanting to be able to show up as her best. Oh my God, I want to cry because now I feel so horrible. But I just, it never occurred to me from that. It, to me, it was like, oh, this is just a way to like create a barrier. And no, maybe, hello, hello, Rosanna. Maybe she just doesn't have the same personality as you. And her way of showing up isn't to fly by the seat of her pants and just figure it out. She Like she wants to come Oh, I just, now I feel awful, but that I'm so glad. But it's a learning opportunity. And there's so much, because we do see things from our own perspective. Like he said, I'm just to kind of turn up and let's get stuff, stuff done. And maybe four of the five people in your meeting felt the same way, but not everybody does. So again, being inclusive is about considering maybe somebody doesn't feel comfortable with the video on, on online meetings and that's okay. Maybe they want to use the chat function and that's okay. You know, we all, I mean, we've all been in meetings where there's one or two people that always talk up, always Mm. talk over anybody, shut people down. How do we manage that in a meeting situation? Mm. What role do we have? Who's the chair? Who's taking notes? I mean, and the gender stereotypes of people expecting women to take notes and meeting minutes, rotate that job, give it to different people. So the responsibilities, because I know that, I mean, I can't multitask like that. I can't take notes and contribute. So if it's the same person taking notes every time, they're not contributing. Mm-hmm. So you around or have somebody that you don't want to contribute that's just responsible for taking meetings. And what about code of conduct of just how we, what, what is our culture in this meeting? So we'll, you know, it's respectful to turn up on time because time is our most, you know, valuable resource. So let's have that as a cultural thing. We'll turn up on time and we'll finish on time because I hate meetings that just go, you know, Go on, and you're busy thinking, oh my God, but I've got six other things I've got to go to. And so somebody's texting to say, my next meeting is going to be late because this one's overrunning. So I'm not paying attention to you. And also, I mean, there's, I think, again, 
extrovert versus introvert, the introvert is a lot less likely to stand up and say, hey, I have another meeting that I need to go to. They're much yeah. more likely to, because as much as I am extroverted in some ways, I'm also very introverted in others. And I will not stay, say, oh, I need to go. It took me a long time to get to a point where I felt comfortable enough to do that. And just because I didn't have a choice, yeah. but you just don't, don't assume that because somebody isn't saying something that they're not thinking that, or that they're not getting more and more anxious as you, you know, wax poetic <laughs> and think it up. Yeah. It's simply about respect. And as I said, time is our most valuable resource. So if I book an hour's meeting, I'm respectful that you turn up on time and then I will finish on time if I'm chairing the meeting. And I and that's when agenda can also help. These are the points we want to get through. Another good tip is, especially if you know somebody's a little bit more introvert or you want them to contribute specifically to the meeting, let them know when you send out the meeting request. So in today's meeting, we're going to be discussing, I don't know, curricular development in academia, for example. Um, I know you got really good feedback on this assessment that you did last, last semester. I'd love it if you could, at some point during the meeting, just share how that went so we can a learning opportunity from that. So I know, okay, I'm gonna be prepared. I might have some facts and figures. I feel comfortable that, and I feel valued. And I think that's a key thing as well. If you don't need me to contribute to a meeting and if you don't value my like contribution during the meeting, just send me the minutes later. Mm. Don't waste my time asking me to sit there for an hour because my time is my most precious resource. So if you want me to contribute, let me know and let me prepare and let me engage with that. And don't invite everybody for the sake of inviting everybody because mm. I'm not fully there. I'm busy thinking, oh my God, I'll just reply to this email whilst you're talking. And that's that's not fair for anybody. No, no, nobody's getting the, be the most out of that experience. If that's, yeah, no. What, has, has there ever been situations that surprised you or you've, you know, used an example and, and somebody said, well, actually, like, have you ever had that experience? Surprise me from a diversity and inclusion perspective? In, um, yes, we'll go with that. <laughs> I think, I'm probably not surprised because I've been doing this for a while, but I okay. think things like, um, I do a lot of work with sport, um, high performance sport, and I've done a lot of work in the last couple of years with football, soccer, as you guys would call it, <laughs> um, and looking at women's experience in that field. And I think what surprises me is what I would consider to be the obvious things still mm -hmm. seem to slip through. So one example is um, for a particular national governing body, when a board member was newly appointed, they would get a gift bag, uh, welcoming them to the to the board. Um, and one individual that I was talking to, she said, um, in my gift bag, I got a tie and some aftershave. <laughs> it was a They had not even thought that, heaven forbid, anybody else but a man would ever take this position. Here's the standard <laughs> gift bag. <laughs> I gotta say, <clears throat> I mean, the career that I was in for 12 years, I was essentially in outside sales for a, a life insurance company. And while on my side in the company, it was very it was predominantly female. In a lot of situations, we, like our clients and the groups that we would go present to, they were predominantly male. And it just got to a point where like, 
I didn't expect to be acknowledged because it was like, yeah, I'm one of a few. And, and you just get so accustomed to the crude jokes, the overt sexual innuendos, like all the stuff that at some point it's like, well, I guess if you pick and choose my battles, none of this is worth fighting over. But one of the things was the, the reason my mind went there was the golf tournaments. There were all these golf tournaments and there might be some women, but a lot of times it was predominantly male and they'd be like, Oh, here's one of our bags. And it was all a bunch of stuff that I was like, I don't, I'm not going to use any of this. Like, I don't, mm. I mean, thank you. Thank you for the thought, but this, I don't want it. Yes, but what is the thought? The thought <laughs> is just, I think you're a man. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks for coming to an all male event. Um, Thanks for showing up. And here's a bag of, of male stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's about just, I, just about turning on that light bulb, right? And, and being intentional and just understanding that not everybody is you. Mm-hmm. And because if you want to sell to the mirror and you want to talk to the mirror, then just do that. Stand in front of the mirror and you, you do you, that's fine. But if you are trying to engage with others, then engage with others and realize that they're not a clone of you. And just take a moment to consider what's in your gift bag or what's on your website or how, what the terminology is or things like, when was the last time anybody used an, an image of a disabled person in a presentation when they weren't trying to sell something to a disabled person? So true. Like, I mean, so true. why are we so exclusive in just being aware of who is, who do I represent on my Instagram feed? Who do I represent on my um, website, on my information? You know, because if I walk into the room, do I feel welcome? Do I see myself? And it's, I never thought of the disability. Never thought of that. Because you only, we only ever use it when we're like, oh, here's a health and safety guide or here's a disability ad campaign or something. Well, you know, people with a disability are also customers and clients and people and sports participants and you know, everything else. I'm thinking of a gentleman um, that worked at one of our agencies, one uh, my former employer, and he was in a will is in a wheelchair. I shouldn't say was is in a wheelchair. And, you know, oh God, no, never talked about anything or he was never represented in any of our material until it was to, for the purpose of explaining a product that we had that he was able to use when he became disabled. Yeah. God. So all we're doing is putting the disability first and not the person. There was a person there. Yes. And all we're doing then is using the disability, focusing on the disability, leveraging the disability to sell something for somebody who is disabled, as opposed to realizing there is a person in there. Yeah. Yes. Which, it, when you put it like that, it's like, well, who can't understand that? Because no matter what label you have, what, you know, what identity you've allowed, you, you kind of see yourself as, you still want to be seen as yourself. First yeah. and foremost, you know, before you are, before I am mixed, before I am a woman, I just want to be seen as Rosanna. Yeah. So Absolutely. why wouldn't anybody else want the exact same thing? Exactly. And to be, to be able to see yourself in places. I mm-hmm. think that's so kind of like, 
Yeah, it, it, it's like you wear a different pair of, of glasses. I've been doing this for a long time now. So I literally walk around with my superhero diversity and inclusion goggles on all the time because that's how I see the world. Like I see it everywhere. Like I was playing Guess Who with my children at Christmas and um, realized that there was, I think, six women on the Guess Who, you know, flipping where you have to guess people and you might start with the question, is it male, is it female, do they wear a hat, do they wear, you know, and I looked at this little board game for children and realised how discriminatory it was. There's no one in a hijab, hijab. there's no, you know, there's, there's only six women out of 30, which is like the percentage does not represent the population and all these kind of things. And you're like, wow, even this board game is patriarchal. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, none of my board game. Well, I will say my favorite board game is Scrabble. Scrabble. So Scrabble, you're, you're doing great. You didn't discriminate. Um, (laughs) But even in the games like life and monopoly, there's no, (laughs) there's no diversity. (laughs) Oh my God. I never thought of that, but I will say part of that. And we talked about this before we start recording for me, I, well, actually didn't mention. So in my family, on my dad's side, um, one of his brothers married a Chinese woman. One of his brothers married a Japanese woman. So on that side of the family, I am the only child who's mixed, but not mixed with Asian. And and even within that, right, there's so many assumptions that could be made. Like my aunt who's Chinese is front, like raised in the South, has a Southern accent. So people will look at her and see Chinese. But when you hear her speak, you're going to yeah. hear a Southern bell, basically. Yeah. You know, and my aunt who's Japanese moved here like when she was, I think, late teens, early twenties. So her children grew up speaking Japanese, um, going to Japanese school on Saturday. So for me, the norm was to not look like anybody in my family, Mm. even my parents. I don't really look like either of them. You know, maybe I may favor one of them more depending on what time of year it is and how much of a tan I do or don't have, but I don't look like them. So that Mm. allowed me from day one to just see people who quote unquote looked differently than me, but were still family. Yes. And to connect from that. But then it also made me so confused when other people made such a big deal about that. And I, I just, I don't even remember where I was going with that. Now my mind just booped. How do you, because you asked me about labels, how do you know what label to use for yourself? (laughs) Um, It, it depends on the situation. That's mm. kind of been the thing that's happened so much with me being a chameleon. Um, and, and also finding a way where, like, how do I clarify who I am or what I am in a way that, but that allows people to feel more comfortable. Um, and, and that's been a big thing, you know, I, it, it so is that always forefront for you, like the label that I'm going to use for myself in this situation, y- your thought process is because I, w- I don't want to cause you offense. So I will choose this label in this situation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. I th- well, I will say it's not so much that I take on a label dependent on that, but the way I communicate about that label. Mm. That's actually a much better way to put it. Um, and here's the thing. For the first 16 or 17 years of my life, If I were to fill out a form, I put what my mom told me to put, which was white because I could pass. Wow. And not until my hair started to get curlier, um, did like around puberty, did more people start to think I was Hispanic, but 
Um, and then it was like, well, I'm not going to put Hispanic because I'm not right. Even though that's what I look like. And yeah. it wasn't till, um, my, I, it's the summer before my senior year of high school, I was staying with my aunt and uncle up in Connecticut. And this is the Japanese aunt. And we were, I remember we were on the train kind of either going into New York or coming out. And she asked about, you know, what do I call myself? And I said, well, I mean, I kind of, I sometimes circle white, but that doesn't feel right. And she asked me, she goes, why can't you say you're mixed? Hmm. And it was like this light bulb moment where I was like, well, I am mixed. I didn't know I could say that. And she was like, and she used the example of her own children. And she was like, I don't want them to ever feel like they have to say they're Japanese or white. They're both. Yeah. Why? Just because everybody perceives you a certain way does not mean that you have to do that. And it was a, it was perfectly timed because I had really been grappling with it a lot in, in high school. Like even in my art at the time, I did a lot of art that had masks and I didn't understand. It wasn't conscious that because I felt like I was wearing a mask and I felt like I didn't fit in. I didn't really, I didn't, even though I would circle white, I didn't feel like I looked white because everybody would come up to me and ask, what are you? So obviously I don't look white, but I couldn't say I was black because black kids would look at me and just think I was another Hispanic kid. So it was kind of like, what am I? And so then I just kind of embraced just saying mixed and and knowing that for the rest of my life or until, you know, forms become affected by diversity inclusion, I'm an other. Because in a lot of forms, you cannot select more than one. You have to pick one or the other, which infuriates me. This is so important in terms of like, I know, talk about sexuality identity, for example, like Facebook, I think gives you over 50 choices yeah Facebook you I think it's something like 50 choices sports gives you two and then you're like okay so let's break that down let's figure out how that is causing barriers and I think it's so important like you were just talking then about I have to take other what is other I mean talk about a lack of identity I mean that's just but I think it's really important to understand how we can help put the right categories out there for people to choose. And I think there is a really big difference between a label that I assign to myself and I choose to identify with and a label that's ascribed to me by society or given to me. And I think that there's a lot of complexity there that's that's not easy to understand. But I think language and communication and things. And I think we have to be sensitive to whether we're giving a label to somebody else or whether they're claiming it for them. That's, and I've done that. I think we all do. I know that I've done that. I've made assumptions based on the way someone looks as much as it it irks me that other people do it. I do the same thing. Yeah. And, and even I remember we recently had something at work. um, I don't remember if it was a, I think it might've been a diversity inclusion, like happy hour or something. And I was, talking and one of the girls was saying like she doesn't like when people ask what are you and she was like it doesn't matter where for me I would prefer somebody ask what are you as to you know where are your parents from what do they speak what language where are you really from and it's this whole like song and dance that I've done for so many years and it's like I know what you're trying to ask but none of the answers that I'm going to give you are actually going to answer that question so can we just get to what you really want to ask me which is what are you? But doesn't what are you sound so objectifying? Like you're an object. 
Like so, I'm just discovering you for the first time, like and I'm an alien that's come down to earth. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you? It's like, well, so when like I, who are you? Well, oh, oh, I like that. Um, so when I was a kid, I hated the what are you question because it did feel like that. Hmm. But when it felt like the questions became so convoluted and so mm-hmm. assumptive, then it was like, I would rather, what are you? But I can, uh, when you say it like that, I can understand how somebody else would completely hate that. But I, I don't know. I just. And even the, who are you question or the, what are you question? I struggle with just the order in which I put my labels out there. Ooh. You know, like that has some sort of hierarchical value. Like I'm a mother, that's part of my identity. But do I share, where do I share that label? In what oh. circumstances? Is that an appropriate label for me to share with people? And if I miss that off, what does that mean I'm a bad mother? If I don't, am I hiding it? Am I shameful of it? Am I, so I go through all this kind of what comes first. Oh, I didn't think of that. Because I'm not a mother. I don't, that doesn't occur to me. That's such a good point. Because if somebody walks up to you on the street and says, what are you? Maybe to you, the first thought is not going to be what is my ethnicity or my race. It's going to be all of the other things that you are as a person. Yeah. And I think that's a lot because I'm, I'm white. So I don't feel the need. People don't ask me those questions. I don't have that. I have. Do you ever wish that people would ask that? Because yes, you're white, but you're, you're from the UK. Yes. You're British. Yeah. Living in the Netherlands. Like, do you ever wish that somebody would ask you? People don't ask me race. They'll, they'll say, where are you from? Oh, okay. Which is interesting because that, again, that's different. That's my nationality. That's not my race. That's, that's a different thing. Oh, but it's interesting that people will say, oh, yeah, and then I'll pick up on my accent. And like I said at the start of this podcast, the difference between I have a Dutch surname because I took my husband's surname. So if I'm corresponding with somebody and they read my name, they may assume I speak Dutch. It's a Dutch surname and I'm living in the Netherlands and I don't speak Dutch. My Dutch is terrible. Um, somebody once told me that my English accent was very good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you should hear my Dutch. It's terrible because I am English. So the assumptions, again the unconscious bias of seeing a name and making an assumption about the person. Or seeing a face. A face. I, I had a woman out at the restaurant once. I worked at a Cuban restaurant for like six years and the music was playing and I went to take her order and I asked, you know, what would you like to drink? And she said, I'm, what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't understand your accent. And then the music stopped. And I said, I asked, what would you like to drink? And she looked at me like, oh shit. I just assumed that you had a very strong Hispanic accent and you don't. Yeah. And and it was like the rest of the time she was kind of looking at me like, what? That voice didn't sound like I thought it was going to sound. Oh, and it was just like, again, but here's the thing. Was that a terrible, I mean, I don't know if terrible or good or whatever, but it wasn't a completely inaccurate assumption because most of the people that I worked with did have very strong Spanish accents. So I guess it fit, I've kind of fit the bill. So why not assume I would have the exact same accent? Yeah, and I think we, we our brains like to compartmentalize. That's mm. yes. as well. So I think subconsciously we default to, going back to the tick boxes, we default to where, where you know, even subconsciously in that split second, which box are you in? Where am I putting you? And 
it's going to take a lot of time to break those down as well. Why do we need boxes? Why do I need to fit in any category? Why do you need a label? Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, again, coming back to sexuality about um, non-binary or fluidity. And that's, that's, that's a new concept for people because we've been so used to, well, I'm sorry, but you're one or the others. Which one are you? Can we talk about that? Because I really don't understand that. Um, and not in a, like a, I don't get, but like, what does it mean to be non-binary versus fluid? Is And, and I've heard this term cisgender mm-hmm. and I don't really know what that means either. So okay. do you mind explaining that? No, sure. So there's a difference. I think the starting point is the difference between sex and gender. Okay. So we use the terminology interchangeably and it's yeah, not the same thing. We're the same thing. Yeah, so okay. basically is our bits and pieces, the biology in which we were born with. Okay. Paleo, those kind of things. That's uh, sex. Okay. Um, gender is a social construct, which oh. means that gender is something that we have shaped and put labels on and kind of built in communities, in societies. So the gender of being a woman comes with uh, assumption of behavior, right? So things like you swear like a girl, or it's a woman's work or motherhood, those kind of things. So they're socially constructed and, and then, then this is kind of binary. So you have to be one or the other. You're either right. masculine or feminine, you're, you know, these, these kind of black and white binary different options that you have. So that's a difference between sex and gender. But okay. nowadays we are becoming more open with our vocabulary and we're understanding that if it's socially constructed, it doesn't have to be in two boxes. Because the whole point is we've constructed this. Okay. So let's deconstruct it and say it's on a spectrum. So when somebody says they're, they identify, identify as non-binary, what does that mean? It means that they don't identify as either the construct of a man or the construct of a woman. So that doesn't mean that they don't like, okay, I'm just going to sound very ignorant. So just bear with me, but it doesn't mean that they're saying like, I don't have the genitalia of a male or a female. It just means I don't identify as just male, just woman. Exactly. And you asked about cisgender. Okay. Gender is means that my gender identity aligns with the sex I was born with. Okay. So I was born a woman, uh, genetically, physiologically, and I identify as a woman, and therefore I'm a cisgender woman. Okay. So That's I'm a cisgender identity. woman. That's my identity. Okay. So transgender is the opposite of that. Transgender would be, I don't identify with the gender I was assigned at birth. It doesn't, it doesn't represent who I am there. They are not aligned. Okay. That one I can, so the, the binary, non-binary, I didn't understand. The, the transgender I did to the, well, to an extent, I don't know what it is to look at my body and feel like it is not my home. It is not how I should be represented, I guess, or physically. But the only way, and this is going to be so basic, it's probably going to sound ridiculous, but I, I had a, a friend who, um, what's the word? 
transitioned, excuse mm-hmm. me, from now it's hard for me to even remember because mm-hmm. I only see him as him now. But when I first met them, they were, they identified as a woman mm-hmm. and now are a man. And when they were telling me that they were going to go through the transition, all I could think was, I know how uncomfortable I am when I look in the mirror and I don't like that I have extra weight on me. I know how like every day, like throughout the day, I'm tugging at my pants and I'm thinking of God, I wish I looked like this or I wish I didn't have this. And if weight can make me feel that uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. if weight can make me less confident throughout my day, I cannot begin to imagine what it must feel like to look at the mirror and feel like I am not this body. Yeah, I do not absolutely. identify. This doesn't, this doesn't feel like my own. And I thought, which God, that I think, awful. Which is why I think, you know, the, the, the whole kind of narrative around it being a choice. Mm. I mean, uh, it's not, a, it's not, I, I think it's a choice. It, it's, how you, it's, just, it's how you were born the same way as I happen to have been born cisgender and I identify, you know, those two things align for me. But if they don't align, it's not a, I didn't choose for my alignment. I am aligned in this way. And I, I don't believe anybody chooses to be unaligned. It's just the way it is. And I think to judge somebody from that, for that, is just horrific. And yes. yeah, there's no need for it at all. What also, what I will say irks me is when people, when you, again, when you talk about the choice and I think, I always think I'm like, do you know how hard it is for them? Like, I really find it very hard to believe that somebody chooses to be subjective to the ridicule, the, the talking behind your back, the, all the, the, the assumptions of who you are as far as your religion or whether you're going to go to hell, depending on the religion. Like you really need to tell me somebody's going to choose that. Yeah. I, I, and, and I, and it also, I guess it comes from knowing the people who have made this choice. It's not this choice, excuse me, but who have made the choice to be open with it. Yeah. And to say, this is how I feel. And everything that that has like m- made them susceptible to. I know their personalities. They are not the personalities that like enjoy this. If anything, actually, they're both incredibly introverted. So to, to say that, I know, requires infinite amounts of courage that I have never had to depend on. Mm-hmm. I've never had Absolutely. to tap into that. Like not on that level, you know, you know, I wanted, so, okay. Thank you for explaining the binary versus non-binary. Is there another term that I need to use besides non-binary? Is there a- Sometimes the genderqueer would also- Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I have a great resource I can send you with all of this. Oh, I love this. But I want to talk about it too, because I'm assuming that there are probably listeners that also have these questions and they may not go and look at, I mean, I'm going to, and I actually would like to link to it in the show notes. I think that would be great. Um, But the term queer, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? So queer is related to sexuality. So really attracted to Um, the same way as gay, which is encompassing male and female means Mm -hmm. we're attracted to the same sex, but we tend to use it more for men than women. And we tend to use lesbian for women just other labels, just other terminology. Mm. Okay. So does queer mean they could be attracted to both? 
No, that's more bisexual. If I'm attracted to, oh, as a, as a as a woman, if I'm attracted to men and women, then I'd be bisexual. I like I have I like both. Okay. So then, what is queer? So queer is just another term for for gay, really. For yeah, just a oh, okay. Term. okay. I did not know that. Okay. And there's a lot of language, and it's evolving. So the LGBTQ, I A uh, right. A and then has a plus on the end because it's because we're learning new categories and again new identities and we want to be inclusive with all of them so the plus is there to kind of try and capture everybody and these these labels this terminology is constantly evolving and intersectional as well so I think it's it's an evolving field so the plus is there to kind of try and, and encapsulate everybody but it means it can be confusing again when you want to say the right thing and you want to kind of be inclusive yeah I will say I've had to resist the urge and this is, I mean, this is going to be awful, but it's honest. I've had to resist the urge to roll my eyes when I hear all the letters, because Mm -hmm. from my perspective, and again, this is a very closed minded perspective because I only understand mine um, of just not understanding it and thinking, Oh God, what? there's more to learn now, which is such an awful way to approach it because it's like, yeah, there's more to learn and that can be a beautiful thing. And isn't it wonderful that you're going to learn more perspectives than your own? But I've caught myself a couple of times where it's like, why would you, why would you have a, an instinct, not an instinct. That's not that I don't think is instinctual. Why would your first default be to roll your eyes at something different than you when you yourself have gone through that so much? True. But I think like you, like we said at the start of this, it's a, it's, it's about a mindset, a growth mindset and, and being open-minded. Mm-hmm. But it can also feel, I think a lot of people don't talk about this, it, it's, it, to be an ally or to work in this space or to be open to, to, to learning new can also become exhausting. It's a lot and being an ally is exhausting and it can be a lot. And there are like, it, it can feel at times that there are continuously moving goalposts. Mm-hmm. Especially like with the language, for example, and you're like, man, I thought I just nailed this, and now, like, you know, the test has changed, so I'm going to fail. And I understand that. I understand that. But I think it's also, like I said about the way I see the world, the more you learn about this and the more you just keep chipping away, I think that's another good thing is like, just take a little bit, bite sized pieces, and just kind of start to see it everywhere. And then it becomes less like work. Mm-hmm. Way you do things. I want to go back to something that you mentioned, and I realized it done. So earlier we were talking about race, and, I, mm-hmm. and you said you're white, and I said, yeah, but you're from the UK, you're British, and you said that's nationality. How often? Because I realized after I said, I'm like, oh, you're right. That's not that's not race. But how often do we can convolute the two? Do we do we tie nationality to race or and ethnicity. ethnicity. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, this comes back to language. It's, it's not, it is complicated. And it, it, well, it can feel complicated. And we use a bit like I explained with the example of gender and sexuality or gender and sex. We kind of use them all as the same terminology, but they're not the same. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is about, and I think it's situational different. I think America talks about race very differently than we do in Europe. Oh, really? I think there is that definite intercultural communication that, that's different. 
I mean, America is the equivalent of Europe in terms of your states are like different countries mm-hmm. and the way things are done and your federal laws and everything like that is, is, is very different. But I think I, I see that difference in terms of how we are, how we talk about things, how we approach it. Um, like, like I, I'm still learning about the difference between Latino, Latinx, is it? Latin- oh yeah, Latin, Latino, Latino, Latinx. I just learned that earlier, yeah. like a, a month ago, because finally somebody said it and I was like, I'm just going to have to go there. I was like, what does that mean? What does Latinx <laughs> mean? Because I had no idea. I was like, well, I've never Can heard you explain it to me now? So it's, as opposed to it being masculine or feminine, because oh, Latino yes. is masculine, Latina is feminine, Latinx is saying, Basically, actually, now that I think about it, non-binary. Yes. There oh. we go. We brought it full circle. Huh. Huh. I just didn't have the language for it until this conversation. Oh, yay. Now I know. I love that. And that's full circle because then, again, giving language. And it's the same with pronouns. Um, you know, choosing to use your pronouns. Going back to the meeting example that we had, not making the assumption that I, who I see in front of me, I'm going to label as a woman and use she, her pronouns. That's my assumption on what I see, as opposed to asking, when we go around the table and introduce ourselves, can you tell me a little bit about you, your name and your pronouns? Okay, so I have seen this and actually somebody in my agency last week was saying, you know, I think it's, you know, we need to start putting that on our emails. And I was like, for what? And it wasn't, again, it wasn't out of malice. I just didn't understand. I have seen people use that, but I didn't understand what that meant. Like, I think there's a difference between, as I said, as a cisgender woman, Mm -hmm. see me as a woman, my sexual sexual identity relates to that. I am more traditional and my pronouns represent the traditional package. I Mm -hmm. use she, her. Um, but as we talked about on the, if, if you're gender fluid or non-binary, your pronouns aren't binary either. So it may be, a, it's your choice of which one you want to use because the pronoun relates to the identity. Oh. And if I share, and I think this is an interesting point, if everybody shares their pronouns, it becomes inclusive. If we're only expecting people to inform me that their pronoun isn't what I'm expecting, that's still exclusionary. So by me yeah. sharing mine as well and having like a company policy, let's all share, it becomes more of an inclusive way of, of doing it. Then we know we can, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. Okay. So by me putting she and her on my emails or, or even on like a Zoom thing, that that's being inclusive because I'm not expecting somebody to put it only if they yes. don't. Exactly. Oh, okay. Gosh, I'm so glad we're talking about this. You know, what's funny is I went into this expecting diversity. Like I said, I, I thought that it really just revolved around race or sex and whoa. It's everything. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which again, that is me looking, thinking from a very, very myopic perspective of no, well, this is how-, how society is teaching you what that is as well. It's how our cultures are teaching you what that is. Like I said, you know, the the, the power of the of brilliant campaigns like He for She or uh, uh, Me Too or Black Lives Matter, absolutely brilliant campaigns, and they bring those issues to the forefront. But I think there is a there is a there is a tendency to become exclusionary 
in diversity and inclusion if we just focus on one thing. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people on LinkedIn or social media with the title of diversity and inclusion officer or something, or even a headline of an article. And when I go into it, I'm like, but you're just talking about race, which is a valid, interesting topic. But then use the correct label for that. Say I'm a, you know, I'm an advocate for racial inclusion or this article is about mm-hmm. racial terminology or whatever. You know, because if we keep misaligning these titles as well, then like you said, you're just assuming diversity and inclusion equals race. Yes. Oh, wow. That's well, what you're being taught. And can I tell you something that also I was very, I, I wanted to bring up at some point, I didn't know when I would bring it up during our conversation, but you're also the first white person I've seen that works in diversity and inclusion, because at least maybe, and maybe I've, I've, I'm sure there are white people who work in diversity and inclusion in the United States, but the ones that I have encountered have all been black. I saw there was a really interesting discussion on a, on a LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, and I think it was a link, you know how LinkedIn does its own training that you can yes. to, and this was about diversity and inclusion, and it was a lady presenting, and she did a kind of teaser of what the course was was going to include. And in the teaser, she introduced herself and she explained that she was, I can't remember the percentage, a percentage Hispanic and and something else, and and the comments underneath were a lot about. Uh, well, I, I don't know how she can talk about diversity and inclusion when she's only a percentage Hispanic or, you know, and I'm like, okay, like I said to you, if diversity and inclusion includes sexuality, ableism, age, ethnicity, um, uh, economic status, there's so many things. So if you really wanted only the people to talk about diversity and inclusion who ticked all of those boxes, that's not one person. No. But not even the fact that we're saying, okay, unless you're black, you can't talk about diversity and inclusion. Right. Yes. That's that's not the point. I mean, as I said to you before, I am I, I am white. I do not know what it's like to be black because I'm not black. Mm-hmm. So I can't talk about that experience. It's not my experience. I am aware of my privilege and my position, and I can learn and I have a PhD and I can talk about the theoretical stuff and all of that. That's what I bring to the table. But I don't bring the experience of being a black person because I'm not a black person. I'm also not disabled. I'm also not gay. I'm also not X, Y, and Z, you know, but I, but I'm talking about the topic. Yeah. So if I wanted to talk specifically about race, then I would probably bring in somebody to talk about it. If I wanted to share their experiences, I would bring in somebody whose experience is that. Does that make sense? But it's oh, but it, absolutely. It's very in what we expect from this. I just well, and and shame on me. I I mean that was absolutely my perspective. Is okay, diversity and inclusion. That means we're talking about race. And I will say probably some of it is because there has been this frustration for as long as I can remember it that it hasn't been talked about, and that there won't there aren't conversations being had like true conversations. There's plenty of politically correct ones where everybody walks away so proud of themselves because they talked about something in theory, but nobody actually talked about what mattered but not ones that actually move a needle on connection. Yeah. And I, I hadn't realized that for me, diversity and inclusion had become just that because that was what mattered the most to me. That's yeah. what personally affected me day in and day out. Okay, so here's the other thing that I find interesting. I, you asked me the start of the question, this conversation, why? And I said, oh, I love a why question. 
One of the things I hear a lot is, I think everybody does connect to diversity and inclusion from a personal perspective. They have a why experience for themselves. Mm-hmm. I connect with diversity and inclusion because I am this person or somebody in my life has had this experience or, you know, so we all have a personal why that connects us to it. I believe to move the needle, we have to join those whys together and Ooh. find the ground. Oh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> Yes, because if we're all coming from this is my experience and this is my why, then of course you're going to, to some extent, you're always going to be able to understand why it matters to somebody else, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can, how can you acknowledge that your own life experience is important to you and then not acknowledge that somebody else's is important to them? Yeah. So at the heart of it, we're talking about pure human requirements and connections of belonging, for example, right? As humans, we are hardwired to belong. We have to belong. We're not a lone wolf. We, we rely on connections and society and cultures and family and friends and the connections we need to belong with others. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody has that need. I don't belong in your group because I'm a woman. I don't belong in your group because I'm white. I don't belong in your group because I'm in a wheelchair. I don't belong in your group because of my sexuality. But the belonging is, okay, well, let's figure out how we create that belonging, regardless of the why you are not belonging. Mm -hmm. I feel like I got to sit with that, but yes. (laughs) Not sit with it in a like, but it's it's just true. I, I... We're all excluded for different reasons, but we all know what that feels like. I think that's what I'm trying to say. No, no, no. I think what you're saying is very clear. I just am, if I don't have something like profound to add, I'm just going to let it rest because what you said was perfect. (laughs) Thank you. You don't need my two cents. Woof. (laughs) That was, wow. What would be um, like a advice or recommendation for somebody who says, okay, I, I want I want to have more of these conversations. I want to understand what is, and, and they don't want to wait till their employer has a, a, a seminar on diversity and inclusion. What is a, a step they could take? Good question. I mean, there are lots of resources out there in this mm-hmm. space. I think um, it's important to, to find a resource that works for you. I just thought of something. Stay-at-home moms don't have an employer, but they might still very much care about diversity and inclusion. Absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's X that part. So anybody who is curious and wants to know more about diversity inclusion, what would be their next step? Well, you could follow me Okay. (laughs) because it's what I talk about all the time. (laughs) And I think it's important to find your safe space, have a look out there, find somewhere where you connect with, like we talked about before, there are some places of diversity and inclusion that I feel excluded from, that I don't feel safe to have to ask the questions that are very shouty and I understand, but it's about finding a place that that you feel comfortable because we cannot have any meaningful conversations or learning opportunities unless we feel safe. Mm. So you've got to find the space, whether it's social media or, or whatever platform that makes you feel like, okay, this is safe, I'm welcome here. And then you're open to learn. So I think that's uh, the forefront is, is really important. Um, and find like-minded people, diversify your feed, diversify your consumption. So I'm very much about being intentionally inclusive. 
And I think we focus a lot on how can I do it in my workplace? How can I do it here? How can I do it in this space? But if we do it everywhere, if that's how we see the world, like I said to you before, we don't have to think about it. It just becomes second nature. So being um, intentionally inclusive. So look at what you consume. What do you watch on Netflix? There's a whole variety of, of diverse and interesting programs on Netflix, for example. When did you watch? You know, there's even a category on kind of queer media and stuff. Go and watch something different. Just go and try it. Just have a go. Um, you know, the uncomfort uncomfortable conversations with a with a black guy. Go and watch one of those. YouTube videos, listen to a TED talk, whatever works for you, listen to different podcasts like this one, find something that kind of makes you think in a different way. Mm. And then follow that interest. I think curiosity is a brilliant thing. Don't be afraid to be curious and follow the rabbit down the rabbit hole and see where it takes you and be open to, yeah, where it might lead. And what would you say to somebody, okay, what would you say to me who has, has said the wrong thing um, and, and maybe is worried that they have offended someone. I think that's a really good point. I think you can't, you can't worry about if you have, if it's already passed. I think it's really important to be open enough to ask that question in the moment. Oh, okay. So don't wait. That, that, that create, that you have to be, that's vulnerable to do that, right? But I think mm-hmm. it's important to say, not I didn't mean to cause offense by that because that's putting the onus on the person that took offense. Oh, it's about saying, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm so sorry if that was offensive. I, I'm, I'm learning about this. I'm trying to do better. How could I have phrased this differently? Okay. So instead of saying, I'm sorry, if I caused you offense, you would say, I'm sorry, if that was offensive. Or I'm sorry, I caused offense. You've got to own it. Because if I say to you, oh, I'm sorry, you were offended. That's, that's like, well, you did something. Right. You were offended you took offense and how many times again on like social media do you say well no offense intended but I'm about to be offensive well yeah that's it goes with my my least favorite is I'm not racist but I'm like well that means you're about to say something incredibly racist absolutely right so it's it's not a disclaimer it doesn't it's not a get out of jail free card you can't say I'm sorry you (laughs) offense but I'm sorry I caused you offense it was not my intention I'm trying to learn about this how could I have better phrased this Okay. Oh man, just that right there alone is, oh, that's huge. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? Yes. Well, because it's like, even when like, and I think about like when, and I was talking about this with a friend of mine when um, like in a relationship, you know, if, if your partner does something and they're like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but it's like, well, that's not really an apology. You're not apologizing for what you did. I'm terrible at that with my husband. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Really? <laughs> the expert on diversity inclusion. <laughs> I'm not a relationship, married relationship expert, but yeah. But I catch myself doing it now. Yeah. Right? And you're like, okay, that's not, yeah. Uh-uh. And, I'm like, sorry, and then we're, and then we're like, oh, I apologized. It's not my fault you don't take my apologies. Like, you didn't really apologize. Like, that's not. I mean, but oh, in an apology. I'm sorry, but. Like that's okay. That it, it, An apology ends with a full stop. It doesn't continue with a but get out jail card it's like own it (laughs) I have all these different snippets from real housewives um that are popping in my head right now and I know that's such a silly comparison but it's so funny to me watching that show or even the reunions where you will have somebody who's like I'm sorry but and the others are like just stop stop 
stop with no but just say you're sorry and there is one lady on one of them who's always like own it just own it just own it so sorry when you say those words that's what that's, I'm- that's a new wheel for you that's a new I want to see that in a wheel <laughs> that's okay that might that might be the next one I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that one oh, wait <laughs> I have to say thank you so much for this you have just you. opened my lid of understanding or at least opened my lid of curiosity even more yes and that's that's a gift so what are you gonna do you asked like what would I say for somebody else to do what are you gonna do what's your you know what what steps are you gonna take now from this well, so actually I do want to go on and, and follow your advice on, on watching queer. Um, I don't know, is it shows on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. Just because I still have a lot of questions and I want to understand that more. Um, and, and I think funny because I, I talked, the reason we connected is because I said curiosity is my business superpower. But until this conversation, I didn't realize how many areas I was not exercising that curiosity. Hmm. So I think that's going to kind of be something I need to sit and think of and, and kind of look and reevaluate at what are the areas that I have made sweeping assumptions that maybe now are not going to be blind sides to me or yeah. blind spots. I love that. Yeah. That's really impactful. Oh, I hope so. Well, I need to actually do it now, but yes, it's, but it, that's kind of the thing too is, is, doing it like you said and I like that you you talked about doing it from a safe place yeah where I want to do my own research and I want to look at things and read things before I go and ask yeah because like you said it's not somebody's job to educate me and I shouldn't assume that just because like okay if there's somebody at my workplace who identifies as queer they do not need to be, I don't need to go to them and say, Hey, explain all this to me. Like I need to do my own research. And then on the things that I don't understand, then I can take it to them and ask an educated question, but not expect them to be my end all be all source of information. Yeah. They're not your queer teacher, but they can be your queer conversation. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, I like that. And even I want to be more aware, like I, when I stopped myself and said, oh, somebody who's going to diversity inclusion for the employer and thinking, well, there are a lot of people who may not have an employer per se, but that doesn't mean it's less important to them. No. And, it, and honestly, it has to be everywhere. It has to be your superpower. It ha- it's how you see. It's like you put on a light switch and then that the light you shine on everything and you mm-hmm. literally see it everywhere. It, it's in advertising it's in social media it's in sport it's everywhere and then you kind of realize that how much you're being fed it as well then you realize that oh all these messages all these kind of you know from everywhere marketing communication you know the fact that my at what age do you think that pink is a color for girls it's just a color yes how does that seep into the children where does that kind of you know and, and how do we constantly interrupt those narratives? So as a mum doing diversity and inclusion with my children, my youngest loves wearing a, a superhero dress that was my daughter's originally, and but he wants to sleep in it at night. He already feels ashamed of wearing a dress, even in our home. Somewhere a message has got through to him that that's a girl's dress. So I've spent a long time just talking to him about, it's just clothes. It's yeah. just clothes. If you want to wear it, it's just clothes. 
But even in, in our safe space, which is really diverse and really inclusive, he has somewhere picked up that he, he goes to bed in his pajamas and they'll change without anybody seeing him because he wants to sleep in the dress. That, um, you know, I am interrupting that narrative for him and breaking it down and saying, there's nothing to be ashamed of here. You want to wear that, you wear it proud, you, it's up to you. It's, you know, there's no judgment here from that. It's just an item of clothing. When did, you know what? I know we were winding down, but I have to ask, when did, when did pants become the male thing? Because back in the Greek era, Men wore dresses. Exactly. The length of hair, the, all these, you know, wearing makeup or not wearing makeup or all these kind of, yeah. And, and you know, what's funny is in, in when you said that there was a part of me that said, oh, okay, so he wants to wear a girl's dress. But then the more I thought about it, I, as you're speaking, that's when I thought of, yeah, but in Roman times, men wore, like, it wasn't considered a dress. That was just clothing. Just clothing. Wow. It's everywhere. <laughs> I feel like again. my mind is exploding. My mind is exploding right now. Oh my gosh. Wow. Just that. Whoa. Okay. And listeners are probably like, is it really that big of a deal? But it is because I just never thought of it that way. Never. Exactly. And I think that's the key. Let's, let's just, you know, that's the key. It's about thinking about things differently and just being open to that and breaking down. Why do I think this? Taking a moment why do I think this? Why do I make that judgment? Why am I assigning that label? Why am I, you know, just that moment to take why? Let's end with the why. We started with the why. Why am I doing this right now? Well, why do I have to justify him wanting to wear a dress by relating it back to Roman times? Why does that make it okay in my mind? Because yeah. you, why did you need to find an okay? Yes. Snap. <laughs> oh, snap. Oh, this is good. Oh my gosh, this is good. Thank you. <laughs> you know, one thing that struck me as I was listening back to this conversation is how many families I know have been torn apart or the relationships have been weakened because of some of these conversations. And if there's someone in your life that you want to talk to about anything that Dr. Don and I covered, I encourage you to use this podcast as a starting point. I encourage you to use this as a way to open that door because that's what this entire podcast, but especially this episode is meant to do. I understand that some of my questions, even some of my comments could have been offensive. And I hope that you understand why I said or asked the things I did. I want to have an understanding, I want to open the door and ask questions that I think other people think. But hey, I do understand also that what I've said or asked could have been offensive. And if so, you're more than welcome to reach out and let me know. Um, and you know, if you don't agree with something, then you can let me know that too. Either way, this conversation is going to open doors and it's going to start other conversations and I hope it just spreads. I really do because I really think if we can get come from a place of asking more questions and having these sort of conversations, the better off we'll all be. So that was just my little two cents on the end of this, but so thankful for you for listening to this episode and would love to hear from you and what you thought of it. All right. 
see you next time.